I might just call them back up and they can sing it again and then we can call it a night. But we won't. So. All right. Mark chapter 13. I appreciate that. Thank you, orchestra as well. And just good to have um, all of our musicians playing and singing together. You know, one of the, the great pictures of music in the Bible is just the unity of God's people and the harmony that that creates. And that's why when we sing and when we hear the instruments playing, it really just should be a, a call to what we ought to be in unity. And so glad for that and I'm looking forward to um, all, of our, all of our musicians and our singers coming together on, uh, during our leadership conference and I think that'll be a blessing and as uh, you minister that way. So pray for them, pray for one another, hope again that you're able to, to come along and look forward to in a week's time, really getting that underway for us as a church. And it uh, seems like it's come along quickly now, and, but we're glad that we get to do it again. So Mark chapter 13, and <clears throat> this evening, I think what we'll do is just conclude our series on the rapture because um, we've got to stop somewhere. <laughs> That's uh, a spiritual reason as I can give you, but um, I think there's many things that we could continue to cover regarding this, but we won't take the time. I just, again, was praying about it this week, but really sense that this that tonight will be it until the Lord lets me do that again. But I've enjoyed it, just reinforcing a lot of things that I I thought I knew and 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 really believed in. But the 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 truth of it is that that there's so much in the Word of God that really just all speaks to this very topic that we can just continue on, but um, I believe that a lot of it for me just was a, a good reinforcement of where we need to be from, uh, from the Word of God, but Mark chapter 13, and I don't think we were, we've been here during this, this, uh, this series, but we'll read verses 24 to 27, and then we'll pray we'll get into it. In, in verse 24, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. The stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. Lord, I just sense to pause right now just to... Lord, just, uh, just to recognize your, your majesty and your grace and, Lord, your, just your infinite wisdom. And, Father, truly, as we look at all of the, the fruit and the opportunities that we get to serve you, and even, Lord, in, in our lifetime, just to see, Lord, how you, you work in, in lives, in our own lives. And, Lord, we just want to pause to give you glory and we want to thank you. And so I pray that you'd please just, uh, again, meet with us tonight as we open your word. We ask that you'd guide us through it. And I pray that, Lord, there would just uh, be a sense, Lord, of, of your, um, your Holy Spirit as we uh, work through the, just the remaining parts of this, this subject in your word. pray that you'd help us tonight. I pray that you'd, again, be glorified. And we pray these things in Jesus' most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen. So we've 
really been focusing on teaching on what our stand is as far as the, the exactness of the rapture. We, we've spoken really about the fact that there's really there's, there's three main, um, main uh, stands or positions that people take. We have focused on the fact that we're a pre-tribulation um, position there as we've studied through the Word of God. But there's also those who espouse a post-tribulation and a mid-tribulation um, uh, position of the rapture. So we've focused a little bit on, on just defining and really looking at what the tribulation is all about because if we're going to think about, think about defining our position based on what we believe on that, we just better know what we believe about the, the tribulation. But I want to start by saying as I cover tonight, I'm going to look at the the positions of post and mid tribulation, and we've emphasized and studied um, our position of the pre-trib rapture of the church. And and it, to me, it's not a position of contention. We're not trying to contend more than uh, we need to. And there are some things that I think when you when you really want to dig down, and we're not going to do that tonight. There's some commonalities as far as the beliefs of those three positions. I think when you look at it from a, from a vantage point of, of the historical beliefs of these, all three believe in the imminent rapture of the church. It's just when is the question. Um, and, and I want to say that I think any dialogue regarding the exactness of, of the rapture's timing um, should end in, in just a, a, an appreciation for one another. It shouldn't end in any ill feeling. I, don't, I, know, I know many other brethren who have a differing position to, to me, to us. And personally, I wouldn't divide from them. But I, I do warn, though, about those who have a, a critical spirit or a bad spirit about it and are overly critical of others. And I hope that that's been, uh, I believe, what your conclusion is after all of this. You know, I, I think believe, I believe stating our position from a biblical standpoint is enough. That's it. And we ought to allow others to maybe even esteem one day above another. But whilst I say that, I would admonish those who may still yet be convinced and would not hold, uh, would still yet be convinced and would perhaps hold to another position um, to respect our stand as a church. Right? And, and that's, that's one that unites rather than divides. If you're happy to continue in our fellowship and, but hold a differing position, um, may further discussions be respectful and held to a minimum. All right, Because we just don't want to disturb the unity that we have biblically because our statement of doctrine is clear on where we stand on that. And so without further ado, tonight we'll talk about these two positions, two differing positions, and then... Um, hopefully, we'll, we'll cover enough and then, as the Lord leads again, as we head into a different, different, uh, different time of, of learning, but maybe another time we'll pick up, in the, um, pick up other places regarding the end times. But the first one I want to say is the post-tribulation position. So according to an author, Brian O'Connell, who stands on this position, they define this doctrine as the church or the saints, shall remain upon the earth until the seventh or last trumpet. Okay, their stand is that there will not be a secret rapture of the church occur prior to the trumpet of tribulation. 
When the last trumpet sounds, the dead saints are res resurrected first, and saints who are still alive will ascend to meet Jesus in the clouds of the air. Every human being on the face of the earth will see Jesus in the air when the saints meet him. The rapture will be as plain as day, as visible as lightning, of which no one will wonder what happened to the Christians. The tribulation is not the wrath of God. These are, uh, these are shown in Scripture as two separate events. The saints are uh, raptured at the end of tribulation, and then God pours out the seven plagues of his wrath upon the earth as the resurrected saints are with Jesus in heaven. And basically they're saying there is no seven-year tribulation. And their, their argument is that, that the position that differs is a modern-day teaching of new origin. Now, again, that's, that's saying that the church, those of us who are saved, will go through tribulation. And that we will go through the, this, this terrifying time on the earth, and then at, at the end of that, there's a belief that that's when the rapture will happen. And really what that implies is that there's no difference between the rapture and the second coming. All right, so the main text that they, they use to, to prove their position is in Matthew 24, verses 29 to 30, Mark chapter 13, which we read, uh, Revelation 14, 16 to 17, and so forth. But we're not going to open to those. Again, I think if you read them in the, in the context and in, in studying the rest of Scripture, uh, you can't really espouse that the position. Okay, there's some assumptions that this position makes. So they assume, and this is going to be the, I think, the dividing line really when it comes to it. They assume that Israel and the church are the same. That, that's really what it comes down to. When you read through it, that's, that's, that's where there's a, a, mixed, um, a mix up in the view, is they just believe that the Israel and the church are the same. They also assume that the rapture and the second coming are the same. They also assume that the tribulation period doesn't represent God's wrath upon the earth. And they also assume that the last trump and then the seven trumpet judgments are the same thing. All right, so those are the four main assumptions of this position. But I want to I show you a, a couple of the weaknesses of this position. And, and really, some of this will be in regard to the mid-trib position, which we'll define in a bit. But firstly, it really ignores the division God makes between the church and Israel. Right? The church did not replace Israel as God's earthly people, but is the company of those who have trusted the crucified and risen Savior for the forgiveness of their sins. And by the way, if that's you tonight, you are part of the church. Right? Okay, so this body, which has Christ as its head, is composed of countless men and women in whom the Holy Spirit dwells as a result of their re regeneration. So, so we know that when we're saved... The Holy Spirit indwells us. But those who comp comprise the nation of Israel simply is this. They do so on the basis of their, their physical or first birth, regardless of what they believe. So those who were born into Israel is the nation of Israel. Right? So the church, as defined in Scripture, really didn't exist prior to the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? He said in Matthew 16, 18, um, that he will build his church, its future tense. We know that the church itself is over and over again referred to as a mystery, and even, even, um, even uh, the revealing of that, the lead-up and the, the introduction of it, is it's referred to a mystery. And several times in the Scriptures, particularly 1 Corinthians 10.32 and Ephesians 2.16, 
there's a clear, uh, clear difference in, in how God labels the church, the Gentiles, and the nation of Israel. Right? So, so things that are different are not the same. Uh, the church is not comprised, and, and I say not comprised, of the, those who were born in a so-called Christian nation. All right? There's no such thing. All right? They, 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 it's not comprised of those who were baptized into a so-called Christian church or confirmed by a so-called Christian minister. Okay? I, 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 the church is comprised of those who have put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. And um, the church, unlike Israel, has no land, right? No territory, no temple, okay? No, no army, right? All of those things were, were in type, and we understand from a spiritual point of view, that's all of us. But the church is a spiritual entity, right? We, we are, even though we are here in, physically, in the end... We, the, the church is a spiritual entity. And uh, these things are strictly the, the province, those things, land, territory, temple, and all of that, are strictly the province of God's earthly people, Israel. Okay, we, we know that in Genesis chapter 12, at the Abrahamic covenant, and it's even defined for us in Ephesians chapter 1 and 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 as well. Okay, and, and the important thing is this, that the Bible calls Israel the bride of Jehovah. He says that in, in Isaiah 62 verse 5. We know that it's not a virgin bride. It's spoken of in harsh terms. If you read through the Old Testament, um, Jehovah God calls Israel divorced, calls Israel a widow, calls Israel forsaken straight away as a harlot. That's all of Hosea. But one day will be remarried by God. And in contrast, the church, so in contrast, the difference, the church is the virgin bride of Christ. And it's being prepared for Christ and will never be forsaken. So I, I think there's, there's clear distinctions between Israel and the church. And Israel, when you read through scripture, occupied the center of the stage in the Old Testament. Where, again, the church is unknown save in types, in shadows, and prophecies. Whilst we know that in the, the New Testament, the church is the center of attention with the Israelites seen in need of salvation through Jesus Christ and the nation coming back into full view only in Revelation chapter 6 after the departure of the church. And so God, God makes that. And, and by the way, the, the way God, uh, God advises us to study the Bible is by dividing it, right? Who, who's been to Awana? Who grew up in Awana? Who can recite the Awana verse? 2 Timothy 2.15. Ready? Study to show thyself, approve them to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So the method of our study, well done, by the way. I think you have earned, I don't know what you used to earn, I can't remember. It depends if you're a cubby or... But... God's advice as far as how we study is if we rightly make divisions. Where he defines one thing, it's not another thing. So we have to rightly divide the word of truth. And so there's distinctions there that God makes. And the, the church, I want to say, is not a glorified or improved Israel. Okay? It's, but, it, but it's actually it's a contrast. 
It's a contrast to the nation whose sin and failure, culminating in their rejection and crucifixion of her Messiah and King, has resulted in being set aside until the church age runs its course. And again, you can study Romans chapter 9 to Romans chapter 11 and Acts chapter 15. And I want you to actually turn there, look at Acts 15. So you remember they were, they were trying to figure out, and, and when you study through the book of Acts, just remember it's a, it's a transitional book. Okay, God's changing from one economy to the next. And there's, there was confusion because they were starting to see Gentiles coming to the Lord and, and whether they, they needed to observe certain things from, from, the, uh, from the Jewish tradition, the, the, the law that God had given through Moses. And so they hold this council at Jerusalem, and they're going through all of that. And, and notice what, what is said here in, in Acts 15, look at verse 13. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. And he says, Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, and after this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning of the world. So what he's saying is they now understood that this was a time where the Gentiles particularly were being, were being uh, grafted in and, and that there was a time that, that he was going to build again the tabernacle of David. So what he was saying is, is we agree in what we are seeing that there's a bit of a pause and a time out. There's a changing here. And they're saying that, that there will be a time though where he will build again the tabernacle of David. Now we can't get that wrong. They can only be speaking about the kingdom of Israel. Right? He, David sat on that throne. And so he's saying that now is the time of the Gentiles. And so now it's that time, and, and, and God's making a difference again between the, the, the predominantly Gentile church, the predominantly, uh, predominantly uh, from all other nations, and he's, he's, he's desiring an inheritance from them, as compared to the singular nation of Israel. So there's a changing, a changing of economy there. So he's making a difference once again. So that's, that's what I want to say. There's a distinction between Israel and the church. But then the second one, that assumption, and, and again, it really when you think about it, it ignores the difference between the second coming and the rapture. And there's a lot of differences. Um, one of the, the things Jesus has done when, since ascending from the Mount of Olives in Acts chapter 1 is the preparation of a place. Remember John chapter 14? He goes to prepare a place for us. We, we sung about, I've got a mansion. And, um, and you do if you're saved, all right? Um, you may not have a mansion here, but you will. He's preparing a place. So his whole, his whole drive and his whole purpose in, since he, he left this earth is to go to prepare a place for us. Now, who knows where that is? Heaven, right? 
And so he's preparing heaven for us, and it just was that, that his, whole, his whole mission on the earth was to, uh, to make a way for those who are lost to come into heaven. Now, he was preparing to build his church, right? So it's, it's evident to, if you read through the scripture, that if Jesus left this earth and went to heaven to make ready places for believers to dwell, then these ones who are believers or saints, as the Bible calls them, are a separate company from the earthly nation of Israel. Okay, their destination is connected to this very thing of what God said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. It's connected with their going to heaven. Okay, not with Jesus' return to the earth. Okay, so what we find is that the, at, the, at the rapture or the, the blessed hope, the Lord Jesus comes for his saints but at his appearing or the second coming, he comes with his saints. All right? So it, it's, it's, there's a difference. Uh, the blessed hope or the rapture is a secret coming as far as Scripture indicates. No, no mention of anyone seeing it, is, seeing it is given. But his appearing is public. Okay? Every eye shall see him. Okay? At, at the rapture, the believers will meet their Lord in the air. Okay, but at his appearing, his second coming, Christ will come down to the earth. He'll touch the earth. Okay, at the rapture, the Lord gathers saints to himself, but at his appearing, he gathers the remnant by means of the angels. We read that in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 14. Uh, and so we, we read that in Matthew 24. Uh, no mention is made of any signs to prepare people for the coming of Christ for his church. But many signs accompany his public coming at his appearing. And that's why I want to say again, I want to emphasize that sometimes the, 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 the study of signs misses the point. When you study it in the context, we're meant to be watching for a savior. That's it. All right, at the rapture, there'll be a resurrection of all the dead in Christ. Okay, these are transported to heaven. At his appearing, there's, there is a resurrection of Hebrews who died in faith, but not, during the, um, but not during the church age. We read about that in Ezekiel chapter 37. These remain on the earth. Okay, the, the rapture holds out a transformation of the bodies of believers. Right? The, those who are mortal will put on immortality. Right? Will be changed into Christ's likeness and receive a glorious body like his. But at his appearing, there's no suggestion of any physical changes to the bodies of the believers. Because there will be none. You know where the physical changes will happen? It'll happen to the creation as a whole. With large portions of the Genesis 3 curse being lifted. So it's not going to happen to the believers, it's going to happen to the earth. Right at, the, at his second coming. Okay, the, the rapture pictures Christ coming under the figure of the rising morning star in Revelation 22. But his appearing is recorded as the rising of the sun in Malachi chapter 4. The, the rapture is set before the believer as a real so, source of comfort. Wherefore, comfort ye one another with these words. But I want to ask you, what comfort could there possibly be if one would have to experience that fear, fearful, woeful time called the Great Tribulation? Okay, on the contrary, Christ appearing is often presented as a time of the outpouring wrath of God. Okay, at the rapture, Christ delivers us from wrath. At his second coming, he delivers his wrath. 
Okay, at the at the rapture, our Lord descends from heaven with a shout, and we're caught up to meet him in the air, but at his appearing, he is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance of them that know not God. Okay, at the rapture, Christ takes his saints out and leaves the sinners behind. Okay, Revelation 20 declares that the rest of the dead do not live again until the thousand years are fulfilled. But at his appearing, the reverse takes place, for then our Lord will take sinners out of the earth and leave the saints here. And so there's, there's all of these contrasts and differences between the two, and you, you've got to be careful to discern and rightly divide the word of truth. The, the next assumption is that it is that they don't they don't see the tribulation as God's wrath and and vengeance. They mustn't have read the Old Testament because it's often called the day of God's vengeance. It's it's called the great day of his wrath in Revelation chapter six. It's called the hour of his judgment in Revelation chapter fourteen. It's called the indignation in Isaiah chapter twenty six and chapter thirty four. It's the overspreading of abomination in Daniel chapter nine. It's a time of trouble such as never was in Daniel chapter twelve. And it's simply called the tribulation in Matthew 24. So, so again, to, to not understand that it's God's wrath and vengeance ignores great swaths of, of the Bible. I'll talk about the, the seven trumpets in a bit, but it really, the, the, there's, we can see that as we study through the Word of God, how different it is. But what I'm saying is all of these assumptions, when you study it through the scriptures, there's great divisions and contrasts, and they're not this, they're, you can't assume it once you've read through and, and understood. And then you, when you think about it, this position means that only those who are alive and remain, saved on earth, only they will go through the tribulation. What about those who died in Christ before? So there's an inequality as far as our our, our are standing before the Lord. We're all saved the same way, right? By grace through faith. So what happens to those who have died? And then what happens, why, why this generation? Right? So again, there's all of these inequalities there that we can read through. So what I'm saying is there's weaknesses to that argument. Right? The, the next one is mid-tribulation, and I'll go through it quickly. This position is, is often referred to as pre-wrath. Okay, specifically, mid-tribulationists divide the 70th week between what they call man's wrath in the first three and a half years and God's wrath in the second three and a half years. They view the seven trumpets and the last trump um, in Revelation 11 and, and 1 Corinthians 15 and, and, and 1 Thessalonians, Thessalonians chapter 4 as one and the same and happening in the middle of the week. Okay, so that's, that's where they, they believe the, the rapture will happen in the middle of the week. So they divide between man's wrath and God's wrath. Uh, Marvin Rosenthal, who, who's an author that espouses this view, writes this, The sign of the appearing of the Son of Man in heaven will be manifested following the opening of the sixth seal. This occurs after the great tribulation, but before the end of the 70th week. The seven trumpet judgments must be poured out before the 70th week ends. This appearance of the Son of Man in heaven before the opening of the seventh seal is related to the rapturing of the church before the Lord's day of wrath begins. God does not exempt them from his wrath. Right? Lot was told to flee Sodom and Noah to get into the ark before God's wrath fell. God's wrath begins with the opening of the seventh seal, for out of the seventh seal the seven trumpet judgments will emerge. So I read through that a couple of times, and I think the main text that they 
one of the main texts that they use in, in their position to reference is in Daniel 7.25, where the Bible says this, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until the time and times and dividing of the times. And the assumption of who the they are in that verse is the church. Okay, there's an assumption there, though, and we'll, we'll investigate that in a bit. Okay, the assumptions of this position as above uh, the post-tribulation, they, they don't make a difference between Israel and the church. They don't make a difference between the rapture, really, and, and, and some, of the, some of the judgments and the second coming. But it also assumes that God sees the tribulation as two distinct periods. And, and they make an overemphasis on the three and a half weeks and the three and a half weeks, Right? And there's an assumption, again, about the trumpet judgments and the last trump, and there's a misdefinition of that, and we'll define that for you scripturally. But the weakness of this position, the reference to the most, the saints of the Most High in Daniel chapter 7, when you study it out, and, and again, Daniel is a prophecy, Jesus verifies it as such, and then the revelation expands on it, right? That's the order. But when you study that through, talking about the saints of the Most High in the context of the tribulation, it's got to be those who have not received the mark of the beast, those who are converted during the tribulation period. Okay, in Revelation chapter 7, what we find is 144,000 witnesses whom God miraculously protects from death comes into the picture. And then later on in Revelation 14, verses 1 to 3, we find them in heaven. Okay, we also read of the two witnesses being raised from the dead and ascending into heaven in Revelation chapter 11. And, and so this raising from the dead and catching away of living tribulation saints prior to the second advent is known as the gleanings. And we won't take the time because that's another study. These are the saints of the Most High referred to by Daniel. But I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. And notice verse 4. So in the midst of this, he seals these 144,000, and I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now skip down, and there's this scene in heaven that, that happens, and there's all these, all these questions. And in verse, verse 9, after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne. And before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. So they're, they're, they're the people, if you, you could imagine, they were in the congregation. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. And have washed their robes and made them white in the, in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. Remember the, the one, of the, 
one of the defining things of, of the tribulation is the mark of the beast, right? That they can, they can buy and sell, right? So these ones, they, they don't have to hunger anymore. Okay, these ones don't have to thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them for, nor any heat, right? They didn't have any shelter. Why? For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. But they're saying they came out of the great tribulation. So in the context of what we're seeing in Daniel, it's got to be those during this time period that God wins to himself through those witnesses and through those 144,000. They are there pictured in heaven. And these are the ones who come into the kingdom in whom the Antichrist will turn his hatred toward. And, and what we see there is, is the saints of the Most High, as defined in Daniel chapter 7, are the tribulation saints. They are those who go through tribulation and they, they, are, they are won over to the Lord during that period of time. So, so that's, that, that's that one, all right? But then the next one is the whole three and a half years of tribulation as man's wrath and then the second half as, as, as God's wrath and and yet what we find is the whole tribulation period is never, never referred to in those terms. Okay, it's never referred to. That's, that's a, a label man gave to understand those two time periods within the tribulation. Never does God ever call the first three and a half years as the wrath of man. It, it's, it's always, always labeled as just his wrath the whole period. And so he says it's wrath in, in Zephaniah 1, 15 to 18, Revelation chapter 6, Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 15 and 16. It's just the whole thing is called his wrath. Okay, it's also judgment. And again, I'm repeating some of the things we learned, read earlier. It's indignation. It's trouble. It's destruction. It's darkness. It's desolation. And he refers to the whole thing as, as the day of the Lord is at hand, and it's the preparation for the, for the coming of the Lord. But the whole thing is His wrath. It's never labeled any differently the first three and a half years and the second three and a half years. And many who espouse this position of the mid-trib rapture believe that the judgment that comes, it comes from the opening of the sixth seal, equates to the return of Christ. Okay, but then again, it's the same question I have. What about those dead saints? who died prior to this whole thing, they don't go through the three and a half years. Okay, it's only those who are alive and remain are, are the ones that go through it. But it misses the point anyway that the tribulation is altogether referred to as the, as the wrath of God. It's never, it's never labeled differently. Okay, and importantly, often paired with the phrase, the, the, it's referred to as the day of the Lord is at hand. Okay, meaning that whether the beginning of the week, the middle, or the end, the whole time and the whole thing is a time of great wrath. It's not man's wrath and God's wrath. That's, a, that's, in, that's, that's reasoned out. It's not, it's, that's not never labeled in Scripture. And so, again, there, there's a weakness there in the argument. But then the last one is the, the whole thing about the last trump. And I found this one particularly interesting, studying through it. But the last trump... It isn't in any reference to the seven trumpet judgments. Okay, in Hebrews 10.1, the Bible tells us this, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, 
and not the very image of the things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto. So, uh, thereunto perfect. So God never gave the law to, to show us a way to heaven. God gave us a law, um, firstly, as a schoolmaster to teach us that we fall short. But then secondly as well, it, he gives it as a shadow of things to come. So actually a lot of the timelines and a lot of what, what we, is referred to that we can't find a definition about, it's actually referred to in the law. It's a shadow of things to come. Right? And I want to show you that part of the law that was given is, is different feasts. There's the Feast of Passover, the, the Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles. But um, on the, in, in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar is, is actually the Jewish New Year. You know that the Jewish calendar had two New Years. Okay, the first New Year happened in Nisan. It, it happened at a time, it's, it, it's equivalent to around our April but that's the start of the Jewish religious calendar. And that started with the Feast of Passover. And there's a great type of salvation in the Feast of the Passover. All right? So, so that's, that's the religious calendar. But the Jewish New Year was celebrated on the first day of the seventh month, Tishra. All right? And it's, it, 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 it changes over time. It's around the end of September, beginning of October, Depending, because again, their days, uh, their their years were 360 days. But but at that point, there's also the the renewing of the new year, which is marked by the feast of trumpets. All right, there's the feast of trumpets, and these are considered the the high holy days, culminating in the day of atonement. So follow with me this 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 evening. So there's this thing called the feast of trumpets. And notice where it's referred to a little bit. Look at Joel chapter 2, and then we'll, we'll eventually uh, turn uh, to different places. But Joel chapter 2, and verse 1, Blow ye the trumpet, trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. So the day of the Lord is at hand. But he says, blow ye the trumpet in Zion. He goes on, look at verse 15. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly. Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children and those that suck the breast. Let the bridegroom go forth of this chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests and the ministers of the Lord weep between the porch and the altar, and let them say, Spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, Where is their God? So when the trumpet blew, it was meant to be a solemn assembly. Now, that's an important thing to, to remember. So this trumpet was to signal that the day of the Lord is at hand. We see that in Joel chapter 2, verse 1. But this also, this trumpet was for Israel's assembly. All right, it was, uh, when you compare that to, to what we see in Revelation 8, 9, and 11 about the seven trumpet judgments, they were directives upon the earth. They were to open up judgments upon the earth. They weren't a call to assembly per se. But what we find is this, this 
solemn assembly is speaking about the Feast of Trumpets. In Leviticus chapter 23, verse 24, the Bible says this, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. Okay, so there was this Feast of the Trumpets that, that started this time of mourning. It was a time of, of great awe about and repentance. And Numbers chapter 10, verse 10 elaborates, Also in the day of your gladness and in your solemn days and in the beginnings of your months, ye shall blow with the trumpets over your burnt offerings and over the sacrifices of your peace offerings, that may, they may be to you for memorial before your God. I am the Lord your God. And, and throughout the course of the year, at the beginning of each month, there was a blowing of a trumpet to signify it's the beginning of the month. But this particular one on the seventh month blew, uh, blew a start to an important time in the life of the nation of Israel. It was the Feast of the Trumpets. And you, you might have heard this term. It's what they would call Rosh Hashanah. Okay, Rosh Hashanah signals the beginning of the Jewish civil new year. You know what it was? It was like the fireworks in Sydney. Right? When that went, it meant it was the end of the year and the beginning of a new one. It meant a period had ended, but a period had also begun. You understand how New Year's work, right? Okay, I don't need to explain that any further. All right, good. But when that blew, it also meant it was the, the beginning of the civil New Year. It was the first of high holy days. It's also referred to as Yamim Norem, which means days of all. It was also referred to as Azaret Yermei Teshuva, meaning 10 days of repentance. And these days, God set them aside for repentance and a solemn assembly or solemn introspection. And you know what, when it concluded, it it concluded with Yom Kippur. You know what that is? It's the Day of Atonement. It was a time when... In the Old Testament, the high priest made an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the people of the Day of Atonement. So this act of paying the penalty for sin brought atonement, a restored fellowship between the people and God. And then there was this blood blood sacrifice was offered to the Lord and a goat was released into the wilderness to symbolically carry away the sins of the people. This scapegoat was never to return, right? So that whole, whole ceremony of that was to picture that. But that ended... 10 days of, of, of just being solemn, of repenting, of getting right with God. But it started with a trumpet, Rosh Hashanah, right? Rosh Hashanah, again, signaled the beginning of the, of the new year, but it also signaled the end of the previous year. And you know what it's traditionally called, Rosh Hashanah? It's traditionally called the last trump. And it meant that the Jewish calendar had ended, but it also had begun. And so there was a new, what it was, it was a new period. And then the trumpet blown at Yom Kippur is called the Great Trumpet. So it ended that Feast of Trumpets was uh, the Great Trumpet. And that's seen in Isaiah chapter 27, Verse 12, it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall beat off from the channel of the rivers unto the stream of Egypt. And ye shall be gathered one by one, O ye children of Israel, and it shall come to pass in that day that the great trumpet shall be blown. And they shall come which were ready to perish in the land of Assyria and the outcasts in the land of Egypt, and, and shall worship the Lord in the holy mount at Jerusalem. 
And guess what? In Matthew 24, 31, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heaven to the earth, uh, to the other. And we already know, we, we reasoned it out in Matthew 24, that whole premise was to do with his appearing or the second coming. So the second coming has to do with the great trumpet, but the last trump is exclusively referred to in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it has to do with the rapture. So the rapture is the last trump, because the rapture is a signal of something ending and something beginning. <laughs> the, the ending is we're getting called up, come up hither, but the beginning is God's going to deal with Israel again. It's their new year. And these weeks of years is about to come. It's called the Great Tribulation. But guess what, church? We're not Israel, and we won't be here. And I'm saying it's the last trump. It's Rosh Hashanah. It's a beginning, but it's also an end. And so there's that great trump that will sound, but that's going to be a sound to those that it's, the time is up. The, the time of of repentance, of grieving, which is, by the way, a great type and picture of the tribulation period, is ended and God is going to claim and it'll be atonement again for the nation of Israel. And so we see that there, although there are things in the Bible that we can allude to and we can look at and we go, no, nah, that's got to be this. When you study it out, the Bible is clear. And we compare the, the biblical, uh, the, the Bible to the Bible. That's how we study it. And the position, I believe, of the pre-tribulation uh, pre rapture of the church, that's the biblical position. You know, there's too many other assumptions that are not, uh, that, that are just uh, reasoned out in other ways. But it stems, it, it results in a misunderstanding of the divisions of Scripture. And again, we would do well tonight. I know, I know that's sort of, that's where we're just going to end it, but there's a lot more that we can, we can study through. But I'm just saying be confident in this, that, that we, have a, we have a Savior who will rescue us out of here. And, and we're just glad for that. But again, I want to say we ought to be busy warning. We ought to just go around, and, and if his, his return for us is imminent... We don't want loved ones, we don't want our friends to go through what comes next. Let's pray. Father, thank you again. Thank you for your goodness and grace. And thank you, Lord, that we can just gather together tonight and just examine the, the evidence of Scripture, how it defines itself, and how, Lord, when we consider all that you, you've placed, it's all, it's all um, Lord, a, a sign of things to come. It's in types and shadows, and it shows us, Lord God, how you operate and how, how we can trust you and we can look to you. And we're glad that tonight as we uh, come together, we can have that, that, uh, that blessed hope in our hearts and that comfort to know that we as your people, as, as those who have put their faith and trust in Christ, uh, will, will be called at that, that day of, of the rapture. And Lord, you will deal with Israel again, but we know the end of the book, you win. And you're victorious, and Lord, you, you overcome and you, you, you bring back even your people, Israel. And we're glad that you are a God who is in control and we can trust you. 
And Lord, help us to look for you. Help us to watch for you in the days ahead. And we pray and ask these things in Christ's most precious, holy, wonderful name. Amen.